to be in Daniel chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, let's go there. We're going to pick up in verse 4. I'm going to read through it, and then we're going to take a look at a few ideas. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream, and it made me fearful. And these fantasies as I lay on my bed and the visions in my mind kept alarming me. So I gave orders to bring into my presence all the wise men of Babylon that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the conjurers, the Chaldeans, the diviners came in, and I related the dream to them. But they could not... They could not make its interpretation known to me. But finally, Daniel came in before me, whose name is Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God, and in whom is a spirit of the holy gods. And I related the dream to him, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, since I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and no mystery baffles you, tell me the vision of my dream, which I have seen, along with its interpretation." Now, these were the visions in my mind as I lay on my bed. I was looking, and behold, there was a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew large and became strong, and its height reached the sky, and it was visible to the ends of the whole earth. Its foliage was beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it. All the birds of the sky dwelt in its branches, and all living creatures fed themselves from it. I was looking in the visions in my mind as I lay on my bed, and behold, an angelic watcher, a holy one, descended from heaven. He shouted out and spoke as follows. Chop down the tree, cut off its branches, strip off its foliage, scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches. Yet, leave the stump with its roots in the ground, but with a band of iron and bronze around it in the new grass of the field. And let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him share with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let a beast's mind be given to him and let seven periods of time pass over him. This sentence is by decree of the angelic watchers, and the decision is a command of the holy ones in order that the living may know that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind, and bestows it on him who he wishes, and sets over it the lowliest of men. This is the dream which I, Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now you, Belteshazzar, tell me its interpretation, inasmuch as none of the wise men of my kingdom is able to make known to me its interpretation. But you are able, for a spirit of the holy gods is in you. Then Daniel, whose name is Belteshazzar, was appalled for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. Twelve months later, as Nebuchadnezzar was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, the king reflected and said, Is this not Babylon the Great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? And while the word was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared sovereignty has been removed from you. And you will be driven away from mankind, and your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. You will be given grass to eat like cattle, and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind, and bestows it on whomever he wishes. Immediately the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from mankind, began eating grass like cattle, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, with the time we have left today, would you come and open the eyes of our hearts to see the things that you have for us? Lord, we've already loved uh, just our time with you today. And now we're asking for the intelligence, the wisdom, the understanding to take what's in this text and plant it deep into our hearts so it brings fruit out of our lives. We love you and we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to sit one more week in Daniel 4. We looked at it last week. Pastor Trav took us through it. And I love, I love last week's teaching because I really think it's the overarching message of Daniel 4 and of really the first six chapters of Daniel, which is this declaration 
that God deeply wants to be known by man. And when we, we look at it that way, what we see is this incredibly loving, gracious God who presents himself to Nebuchadnezzar over and over and over again. But as Trav was teaching last week, there was, there was something that caught me and it caused me to want to sit in this passage another week. Nebuchadnezzar had had several encounters with God prior to this point. We think about it, he had, from, from the early, early stages, he had the encounter where Daniel and his friends refused to, to eat the choice meats and refused to eat the, the provisions given from the king, and all they eat is vegetables and they drink water, and yet they get fatter than everybody else, which shouldn't have happened. That was miraculous. So, so Nebuchadnezzar sees it and, and, and he notes it. If you think about Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, who are thrown into the burning fire because because they wouldn't bow their knee, and all of a sudden, Nebuchadnezzar will look into the fire and say, wait, we threw three guys in, right? Yeah, there's four in there. They're completely untouched by fire, and he has this incredible encounter. Each of these encounters, what, he's, what, what is presented to him is the power and the supernatural reality of heaven. And in each of these encounters, Nebuchadnezzar has an option to yield who he was and bow his heart to the Almighty. And in each of the situations, what we see Nebuchadnezzar do is acknowledge God, yet never bow his heart. It is in this phrase, the difference between acknowledging God and bowing your heart, that I think we find what's most poignant in this text. Because it is very easy for us, even in our day, in our time, to acknowledge things about God and never actually let him take over and take control. I can know it's true, but living it out is a completely different issue. Based on the narrative, it would appear that God was looking for something in Nebuchadnezzar that he wasn't finding, and God was finding something in Nebuchadnezzar that he wasn't pleased with. There's a couple places in the text I want to highlight. Verse 17 says, this sentence is by decree of the angelic watchers. And the decision is a command of the holy ones. This word sentence is interesting because we use this term. We use this term in our criminal justice system. We sentence criminals to specific seasons in captivity because in that time, in this said process, we intend to teach them to do better. The logic is by being robbed of time, they'll see the error of their ways. And that is exactly what we see happening here with Nebuchadnezzar. This is what heaven is imposing on him. It's interesting for me that heaven is imposing a sentence on a man who doesn't even claim belief. He's outside of covenant. He's not even said he was going to be in covenant. And yet heaven is sentencing this man. Verse 28, we see Nebuchadnezzar in his great statement, which it just kind of reeks with self-glorification. Is this not Babylon the great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? It's in this statement that I want to highlight. He's doing something incredibly dangerous. He's traversing into incredibly dangerous territory where his personal successes and his personal perception are beginning to inform his identity. He saw the world around him as an evidence of his own greatness. In a simple description, we have a word for that. He'd become proud. Maybe pride's a bigger deal than we think. If we consider the timeline of the story, 12 months prior to that statement, God had sent a dream to Nebuchadnezzar. Why? I think this is amazing. God knew Nebuchadnezzar could adjust his own heart. 
What that tells me is that pride in me is something that I have been given authority to deal with. It's, catch this, it's not God's responsibility to deal with it, it's mine. So there was a grace given. God would give Nebuchadnezzar a grace where he gives him a time pocket to deal with his own heart. But he didn't adjust. And so God steps in with a different tactic, difficulty, and it works. Nebuchadnezzar gets the point. Verse 34, he says, but the, at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. And no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? At that time, my reason returned to me and my majesty and splendor were restored to me for the glory of my kingdom. And my counselors and my nobles began seeking me out. So I was established in my sovereignty and surpassing greatness was added to me. And now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the king of heaven. For all his works are true and his ways are just. And he is able to humble those who walk in pride. I want to suggest something to us that I think is important. Pride in man causes a reaction in the king of glory. And we could, we could read this as a story about Nebuchadnezzar, but I think we would do well to look at it from the lens of our own lives. Why, is, why does pride cause this reaction in God? If you think about last week, think about what we looked at in the first pass in chapter four, this passion in God's heart to be known by people. You see, pride forces God away. Scriptures would teach that he's inclined to resist it. James 4 says that God resists or opposes is actually a better term. Stands against in opposition to the proud, but would embrace the humble. So to be consistent with his loving nature, when we won't deal with our pride, he has to. Because if he loves us, he must, because he knows the danger of pride. The pride goes before destruction is what Proverbs will say. That pride will always lead us into ruin. My pride will always lead me into ruin. My pride blinds me from reality. Pride is simply the deeply rooted self-focus that robs truth and reality from perception. I would suggest that pride connects man with the demonic realm. Isaiah 14, there's this original statement out of Lucifer, I will be like the most high. And we see this elevation of self, this desire to supplant. It's the original production of Lucifer. And I want to apply this to us. It is incredibly easy to allow our successes in life our perception to inform our identity. It's also incredibly dangerous. How do I know if I'm doing it? Nebuchadnezzar's language is a clue for us. 
If we listen to that phrase that he, he says, is this not Babylon the great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the power, might of my power and for the glory of my majesty. There's some, there's some tells in this. Anybody ever played poker? You can admit it in church. It's okay. You're not going to have to repent. You're like, wait, that was a trick question, right? There's some tells, some things he gives away, part of his, what's going on inside of him. So I would say for us, if we look at Nebuchadnezzar's language as a clue, listen for the I factor in your language. Are you self-focused? Is it all about you? Listen for your need to get credit for accomplishments. Are your insecurities speaking out? Watch for your need for position and power. There's this belief in us, if I just had this, whether it's in a church realm, whether it's in a job realm, if I just got this, if they just saw me, if they, and you can feel this thing rising up, and I would say, be careful. Watch over hierarchical thinking towards others, which is entitlement, the belief that I am better than or separated by something. Because these are indicators that we're moving dangerously into pride, and when you see them, take note and repent. It's that simple. All of us are gonna walk into those places. What we do with them is the question. When I see them in my life, do I push pause and go, oh Lord, that sounds an awful lot like a bunch of me and not much of you. How do we remedy it? Here's the thing I want for us. Process every encounter with his power as an invitation to know him. We have been super blessed to walk in a lot of the release of the Holy Spirit, a lot of, of, of the outpouring of the Lord. We've been seeing stuff get healed legitimately, and it's just been incredible. But there's a danger in it that we could observe it and not let it do what it's supposed to do, which is be, because I would say it this way, our encounters with his power should always lead us to his lordship. We see Nebuchadnezzar, I love this at the end where he says, but at the end of that period, I Nebuchadnezzar raised my eyes towards heaven. I would say this, how do you remedy it? Lift your eyes towards heaven. This posture of an upturned face throughout scripture speaks of a conversational relationship, a prayer relationship where my eyes are fixed on the Lord. You see, living a life of that relational conversation with God has this incredible effect. It teaches me who he is. It reminds me. Here's what I love about looking at the Lord all the time. It reminds me that I'm not him. When my eyes are fixed on him, I know for sure who I'm not. Nebuchadnezzar, the thing we see him do as well is, then I, Nebuchadnezzar, praised, exalted, and honored the king of heaven. Church, learn to declare his goodness. We just sang about that. I'm gonna sing in the middle of the storm. Why would I do that? I'm gonna declare his goodness, the reality of who he is in the midst of what I'm walking through. It's not a false declaration. It's not false humility. It's not sweeping something under the rug. It's just saying, look, I live in two realms at all times. I live on the earth and I live in the heavens. Because I am seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus, I can declare the supernatural realities even though I don't see them in the natural. Because I do believe the supernatural trumps the natural. And I would say it this way. I lean into the supernatural and I see its effects in the natural. It doesn't go the other way around. And then I would say, take your place as a servant of all. I love this in Jesus. I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. 
Whenever we see that pride thing rise up, because here's the concern for me. If God being just will deal with Nebuchadnezzar in this way, how much more is he gonna deal with his own children if we refuse to manage our own hearts, manage our own pride? All right, let's stand.